Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.tv. Now let's hear a word from God today. Good, good. Hey, I want to welcome you here this morning. Thanks for being here at Southcrest. I want to welcome both of our campuses right now, LaGrange and Noonan. I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us today. Today is going to be an amazing day. It's the final message of our series called Repurposed. And basically, we have spent the whole month of January talking about how God wants to repurpose our lives, right? Like he has this plan and it's a huge plan. He tells us in Jeremiah, he says, for I know the plans I have for you. God's got plans that we don't even know about and they're much bigger many times than we even think about. So we've been in this whole series called Repurposed. Uh, For me, one of my favorite weeks of the series, I think was in the second week on the 10th of January, we talked about letting God recapture our hearts. And I talked about David and the story of Jebus and, and how we need to let God recapture our hearts. And to do that, we got to take away the mocker. We got to dispel the mocker. We got to go back to the place where we recapture the source, right? Let Jesus recapture the source. Two weeks ago, when I was in Israel, I had the privilege, my very last stop before I left the country of Israel, before we left Jerusalem, was to the city of David. And I remember looking over the fence at the city of David and seeing the very place where David's palace stood. And I saw the ruins of his palace. And I thought, that was the place where God recaptured his people. They took the place. So this whole idea of repurposing is very, very fresh to me. So let me say this first before we jump into the message. I want to thank you guys. I had a birthday this week. Yeah, anybody else have a birthday this week? That's right. I knew. Oh, yeah, you are as cool as me. Okay. Uh, I, I had a great birthday this week, okay? And I've decided I'm going to start counting backwards. Like, I'm not going to count up anymore because, like, I want to live till I'm 90, so I'm actually 44 instead of 46 because I'm just going to work my way back down. And uh, if you want to do that, too, you can join me in that. But I just want to say thank you. You guys have given me so many amazing birthday wishes this week. I feel amazingly blessed as a person. And I had some amazing time with my family this week. We got to go on some special dinners together, and it was really cool. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, So today we're in our last message of Repurposed. And uh, we're talking about how we need to deal with the distractions in our life and how God wants to repurpose us past the distractions in our life. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not. Recent surveys have told us that 16% of fatal crashes in America happened this year because of distracted driving. Distracted driving. Like the other day, I was driving down the road, and there was this guy. He passed me, and when he passed me, he was he, the road was here, and he had his phone right here, and he's flipping social. He's not even holding the wheel. And I thought, dude, <laughs> you're gonna kill us, okay? Sixteen percent of all fatal crashes in America happen because of distracted driving. That's well over five thousand fatal crashes. And for those of you who are parents of soon-to-be drivers, uh, you get this education lesson all the time. The first thing you tell your student when they start driving is this, do not touch your phone, right? Put the device down, like put the device away. And what I've learned is teenagers and younger people, they do really good at not being distracted. But us as adults, we don't always practice what we preach. Can I get an amen, right? Like we really, we struggle 
as adults in distracted driving because here's the deal. We figure, hey, I've been doing this 10 or 15 years. I ain't dead yet. So, I mean, some of us live through non-seatbelt. Remember that? <laughs> Your parents put you in the car with no seatbelt? Yeah, and you're like, dude, if I can live through that, I can live through Facebook, okay? But the truth is this, distractions are a big, big part of the life we live. We live in such a noisy culture. I was doing some other research this week related to this message and realizing how distracted our lives are become. Now, this one, some of you are going to really, really get excited about. Did you know that as Americans, we work more hours than any other industrialized nation in the world? Some of you go, I know it, man. Like, I'm there, okay? And, and here's what's crazy. Since 1970, we work approximately one more month per year than they did in 1970 because of the amount of hours that we work. We work more hours than any nation in the world. Some of you go, man, I love this church because I'm going to go back to my employer. I'm going to go back to my company and I'm going to cut my hours, But the truth is this, it doesn't matter if you're at your company or at home, even through digital technology, we don't ever stop working. We work 24-7. Like some of us, when we go on vacation, here's what we say. Well, I'm just going to work for an hour or two, right? I'm just going to read my emails in the the morning, (laughs) and I'm going to answer them before I go to bed, and then I'm going to pretend like I'm having a vacation somewhere in between, right? Right? The truth is we work more. So we're not only distracted by all this other stuff in our life, but we're working harder and we're actually busier than we've ever been in our life. I mean, technology doesn't give us flexibility anymore. It kind of tethers us many times and it causes us to be busy, to be stressed out and many times overcommitted and we're tired and we're broken over it. I read an article this morning that said, do you realize that the American population only represents 5% of the world population, but we use over 75% of the painkillers in the world. 75% of the painkillers go to 5% of the population in the world, and that's us as Americans. So we have never been more distracted, more stressed out, more broken, and we need a pill or we need something to try to help us realign our lives. But the truth is, it doesn't always work. Because even though we're busy, even though we're stressed out, what happens is our greatest fear shouldn't be distractive driving, it should be distracted living, right? Living such distracted lives that we never let God completely repurpose us. Because I don't know about you, I can get my life caught up in a lot of things that really don't matter. I like how Francis Chan said it in his book, Crazy Love. Listen to what he says. He says, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that really don't matter. That is such a true statement for our lives. If we are going to let God repurpose us, we've got to deal with the fact that many times we are so distracted, we live for things or we are successful at things that don't really matter. They don't really matter. I mean, much of life, whether you realize it or not, is learning to put first things first. Now, let me explain that term real quick. There was a guy in the early 1990s. His name was Stephen Covey. He wrote a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. 
And he was basically talking to corporate leaders and to, to, to people who were leaders. And basically what he said is this, one of the, the seven tenets that you must do if you're going to live a highly successful life is you must learn what's first and put first things first. And for the first time in corporate America, here's what Stephen Covey taught us. It's okay to say no to good things so that you can say yes to better things. The problem is it's 2016 and we're still living distracted lives. We're still living for a lot of things. Like Chan said, they may make us feel successful, but they don't really matter. Part of repurposing is letting God realign our priorities. Now, I want to make a statement about that because, you see, if I would have preached this message the first week of the series, you would have said, oh, this is a resolutions message, right? This is about making resolutions because our goal is we want to make these commitments that we want to live up to. And so I have strategically put it on the end cap of this whole series because I want to make an exclamation point. If Jesus and if God is going to repurpose our lives, we've got to let him realign our priorities. There's some things that we got to decide aren't worth living for. And then there's some things we got to decide are truly worth giving everything for. Now, here's the truth about the world we live in. Distraction, distraction is a normal reaction in a sin-fallen world. You see, when I was younger, I didn't believe this because here's what I thought. When I was 25 and 27, I had this myth called balance, right? Some of you go, oh, I've been there. I've tried to balance everything. And we just keep adding things to every side of the teeter-totter, right? And we try to balance out our lives. Like, I know I'm busy at work, but I'm going to take four more vacations. But I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And the truth is, distraction is a normal reaction in a sin-fallen world. We live in a sin-fallen world, and distraction is part of that sin-fallen environment we live in. we got to realize that about our life. You know the other thing I've learned? Guilt and shame is only a short-term motivator to realigning our priorities. Because here's what we do every January. Oh my gosh, I got to lose these 15 pounds. I feel so much shame for what I ate between December 1 and December 30. Or we make others feel guilty and we try to shame others. I remember one time a guy said, hey, I want you to run this 10K race with me. And I said, that's awesome. I'd been training. I thought, dude, I'm going to... I'm going to take this guy out. Like, he, there's no way he's going to beat me in my 10K time. He sent me a race entry form. You know what the name of the race was? The you suck 10K. And basically what he was saying is this. As a runner, I'm going to get inside your head and I'm going to make you feel guilty and shameful for the fact that you can't beat me. <laughs> we use guilt and shame all the time to try to make people realign their priorities. Sometimes it happens in our life through a death. Somebody we love dies. Sometimes we get a diagnosis, right? The doctor comes in and says, you have cancer. And suddenly we want to live like we're dying. Like we want to go ride a bull for six seconds, right? Guilt and shame is only a short-term motivator for realigning our priorities. So it's part of living in a sin-fallen world, but it's only a short-term motivator and we can't live for those things. Here's what I've learned. What is important to us It's really not about willpower. It's more about love power. Because what we truly love in this life, we will give ourselves completely to it. 
Because some of you go, man, I wish I had the willpower to go to the gym every morning at 5 a.m. I wish I had the willpower to only eat like, like food that's the size of my hand. I wish I had willpower to only check my email 17 times a day. <laughs> but that's not what it's about. It's not about willpower. It's about love power. Here's what I've learned about that. What, our, what has our affection will eventually own our attention. What has our affection, what we truly love, will eventually own our attention. Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 10. We're going to look at a story, one of my favorite stories in Scripture, which, by the way, I have a million favorite stories in the Bible. I just love the Word of God. It's so relevant to our life. But in Luke, chapter 10, we hear a story of when Jesus went to a town called Bethany. Now, I think that's funny because I grew up in a town called Bethany, and I thought, if Jesus would have come to my town, what would he have experienced? Well, in this town, he experienced a lot of different things because we know that the place that he went in Luke chapter 10 here was the home of two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus went to this place called Bethany. Bethany was about a mile and a half southeast of uh, the Mount of Olives. So literally, as you're standing on the Mount of Olives and looking at Jerusalem, if you go to the very top, you can turn around and you can see the city of Bethany. It wasn't that far from Jerusalem, but the Bible says that Jesus made his way to this town and paid a visit to these people. And we know them as the story of Mary and Martha. If you have your Bible, I want you to look with me. Chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So get the picture. Invites them into the home. There's a lot going on because in those days when people came to your house, you really rolled out the carpet for them, right? And the Bible says that with all the other things going on, here's Mary, and she's just kind of encaptured by Jesus. In fact, she is fixated on Jesus. In fact, I want to say it to you this way. Her attention was on Jesus. Her attention was on Jesus. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Look at verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one thing. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. You know, every time I read this story, I realize something about this story because Every time I've ever talked through this story, there's always the people in the crowd. Here's what they say. They, they budge their neighbor and they go, you're a Martha. See, I told you, you shouldn't have been a Martha. You worry. Okay, how many as a place of healing in your life today need to admit you're a worrier? Both hands of mine are up right? I don't just go through life and go, I don't care about anything. I worry about the stupidest things, right? I don't worry about a lot of important things. I worry about things that shouldn't matter. Like, does the DVR work today? Or, you know, am, am I, have, I got, have I got enough gas in my car? I worry about things that just really aren't important. And I do this a lot in my life. And here's what I've learned. We all have a little Martha in us. 
Every one of us. So don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at them and go, you are such a Martha. He is preaching at you today. You need to come forward and repent. (laughs) No, the truth is, listen, we all have a little Martha in us. In fact, I've learned this about my life. My life is full of Mary moments and Martha moments. There are moments when I can sit at the feet of Jesus and the world around me just seems to buzz and I don't care what's going on. And then there are moments where I just seem like a Martha and I am so distracted by anything and everything that comes in my life. Why? We all have Martha in us. See, here's what I've learned. It's easier to work for Jesus than it is to worship him. just easier. I want to do something for God. I mean, I want to give you this little truth about my life. My wife and I, we've been married almost 25 years, but you know how you get into your marriage and you do certain things when you've been married long enough and they kind of annoy each other? Well, I want to tell you one of the stupid things I've done to annoy my wife, okay? When, when we get in a little tiff, sometimes what I do is I go work. I go clean. I wax the car. You know Why? Because it's easier when you're frustrated to go do something than to just sit and really resolve the issue. It's easier to work for Jesus than it is to truly worship him. That's one of the struggles, because why? We all got a little Martha in us. You see, we often do for Jesus instead of decide to be with Jesus. So Martha... She was looking at Jesus in this moment and she was saying, Jesus, don't you see what I'm doing for you? Don't you see how hard I'm working? In fact, she says it this way, Lord, don't you care? (laughs) Now, there's a lot of things I probably would say to Jesus in that moment, but I don't know that I would look at Jesus, son of God, Messiah, and say, hey, Jesus, you don't even care. But she said, hey, don't you care? You know what that proves to me? The distractions we face in life, if we don't deal with them, they will lead to disillusionment. Because Martha in this moment was so focused on all the preparations that she couldn't even see how important Jesus was in that moment. Lord, don't you care? Of all people who maybe was there because the Bible says that there's a good chance Jesus had took many of his disciples into her home, that they saw this go down. Probably Peter heard this, right? Because Peter was all up in Jesus all the time. Like, Martha just said, Jesus doesn't care. And I even wonder if maybe that's why, G- why, why Peter wrote this in First Peter. Look what he says. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Martha. <laughs> I don't know. I just wonder. Because Peter probably saw this go down. Cast all your anxieties because he cares for you. Martha, Jesus, don't you care? Like I'm doing some very important stuff. So Martha says, hey, hey, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. Tell her to help me. Like here I am working, I'm struggling, I'm striving. You go tell my sister to help me. Here's what she was really saying, okay? Jesus, look at how busy I am for you. Do you notice me? Right? See, here's one of the challenges about distractions. If we're not careful, it will always be about us. And if it's always about us, it will never be about Jesus. 
You know the other phrase I think she's saying? My little sister's a freeloader and doesn't really love you, Jesus. That's the Smithsonian translation. My sister, she's just here. She doesn't really love you, Jesus. Look, I think this is what else she was saying. My activity equals how much I love you. I am very religious. Jesus, look at how devout I am. I'm in here slaving. I'm in here whipping up the mashed potatoes for you, Jesus. But Jesus, he used this moment to do something amazing for Martha and something amazing for Mary and something amazing for every person who oversaw this. He wanted to realign her focus. Jesus says back to her, Martha, Martha. I don't know about you, when my mom would call my name twice, it was to get my attention. And it's usually because she didn't have my attention, right? If your mom calls your first name, she calls your last name, you know, she calls your middle name, you're dead, right? And so Jesus in this moment looks right at Martha and he says, Martha, 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 almost to like slow her down. Hey, hey, quit being so busy. Quit being so focused on so many other things here, Martha. He says, Martha, Martha. And then he says these words, you are worried. If you go study that word worried, it means more than what you think it does. That word worry means to take something and to break it into parts. And here's what he was saying to her. When our lives... When our lives become distracted, our priorities will become segregated. You see, one of the things the enemy wants to do to us is he doesn't need us to snort cocaine to be bad. He doesn't need us to rob a bank to be like really bad. He just needs to get us distracted long enough that he can segregate our priorities. And he looks at Martha and he says, you're worried. You're letting the parts of your life, the priorities of your life be broken apart little by little by little by little. Now, I don't know about you, but if you say, hey, I want to travel on a bridge and I find out that for the next five years, they're going to remove 10 feet of that bridge over the next 10 years, every year for the next 10 years, I'm not driving on that bridge. Why? It has no integrity. But our lives are the same way. When we allow distraction to reign, what happens is little by little our priorities wane. And we wake up one day and say, how did I get here? This isn't what I want to live for. This isn't what I want to do with my life. It's like the person I meet who's on their deathbed. I've never met a person on their deathbed that said, would you bring me a picture of my car? I've never met a person on my deathbed that said, hey, would you show me my bank account number one more time? I've never met a person about to die and to go into eternity that they said, can you show me the score of the football game one last time? Here's what they say. Where's my family? Will you bring me my Bible? Will you pray with me? The enemy wants to distract us to the point that our lives and our priorities become so segregated we can't focus on what really matters most. I mean, what is it that Jesus taught both of them in this moment? 
Here, here it is, okay? This is a long answer, but I want you to get this. It's very, very important. Write this down. Not everything in life is urgent. What is urgent is not always important. And what is important is not always necessary. I thought that up myself. Because I had to sit down and preach this to my life this week. Sean, not everything that you're doing in your life is urgent. Don't act like it is. And don't ask everyone else to act like it is. What is urgent is not always important, right? Just because someone else thinks it's urgent doesn't mean it's urgent to you, right? Someone comes to you and says, I got to fix this now. And you go, no, 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 no. That is not urgent to me. What is urgent is not always important. And what is important, listen, this is really tough, is not always necessary. Is it important for us to save? Yes. Is it important for us to have a great house? Yes. Is, is, it, is it important for us to take care of our car? Yes. Is, is it important for us to, to help our kids be really good athletes? Yeah, that's good. You can teach them a lot. But let me ask you this. Is it necessary? Because in this moment, what they learned through the life of Mary and Martha is not everything is urgent. And what is urgent is not always important. And what is important is not always necessary. In verse 42, Jesus looks at Martha and he says three things to her about this moment. He says, first of all, Martha, only one thing is needed. Only one thing is needed. How much of our life do we try to live for a million things that distract us from living for the one thing? He said only one thing is needed. He said, Martha, the most important thing is that Mary is here responding to me in passionate worship and it will change every single part of her life because only one thing is truly necessary. And I wanna say this to you today. Listen, there's a lot of very important things in our life, okay? I am a very important-minded person. But apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing him personally, there's very little in our life that's necessary. And I understand that blows up the American dream. But I just want to say, as your pastor, I want you to have a kingdom dream. I want you to experience the American dream. It's great. But I want you to have the kingdom dream that God has for your life. He says, Martha, only one thing is needed. Listen to what else he says. He says, she has chosen what is better. She has chosen what is better. Now think about that phrase. Jesus looked and he said, I want to size up all the priorities of everything. Only one thing is necessary. And then he praises her. He says, hey, she has chosen what is better. In other words, how important is it to find what is better? I thought about it this way this week. Could it be that some people in life are so bitter about their life because they've lived their life for the things that don't really make them better in life? And priorities in figuring out what really matters is about living for what is better. Jim Collins said it great in his book years ago. He says, good will always be the enemy of what? Great. It will always be the enemy of great. In our lives, it's the same way. Good, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. 
Good will always be the enemy of great. God has things he wants for your life. And he says, Mary, she chose what is better. She chose the right things. In other words, she set her life on a course, on a lifestyle of of not just a one-time experience about, hey, every seven days I'm going to go to church or I'm going to give my life to Jesus and then I'm going to kind of live by my own priorities. He said, no, 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 no. She set her life on this course because she found the one thing and she has found what is better. It's her life. And then he makes this statement. It won't be taken from her. It won't be taken away from her. In other words, it will last. It will sustain her. It will be a part of her life because God wants us to live for things bigger than ourselves. You know, legacy is beyond me. Jesus said here, he said, it won't be taken from her. It will become her legacy. What is necessary? Learning to choose a lifestyle of what is better and saying no to a lot of good things. And then he says, and when you do that, This is the thing that when you die, it won't be taken away from you because your legacy will live on. I want you to look at how different these two women were. Martha, basically this. Martha was, she was distracted, right? Mary, she was devoted. Martha, she was bothered. Hey, Jesus, Mary, she was blessed. Martha, unfocused. Like, I can't quite get my life together here, Jesus. Mary, she was focused. Look at Martha. She was dissatisfied. Mary, she was satisfied. She wasn't worried about all the other stuff. Martha, she was busy. Mary, she was being still. Martha, discouraged. Mary, encouraged. Martha, anxious. Mary, She was in awe. She was in awe. You know what else I think we learn? When we put first things first in our life, it will have a keystone effect on the rest of our life. Figuring out what's most important, what is really necessary in putting it first. You know, a keystone is a very important thing in building. Basically, if the keystone is aligned right, every other piece of material moves off of the keystone. If you've ever replaced floors in your house, you get this. If you don't get the first plank right, the floor's crooked, right? The plumb line is so important. And and here's what we need to learn. When we learn to put the first things first in our life, they have a keystoning effect on every other part of our life. And that's really what Jesus wanted to teach Mary and Martha here. You know, Jesus, there was one time he talked about this that I think is so profound. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount, but in in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is basically talking to his followers about worry, right? Anxiety. What is it that's distracting you? Versus what is a first thing in your life that have a keystone effect that it could affect every other part of your life? And listen to what he said to his followers in Matthew 6, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know what this word means, his kingdom? It means God's sovereign rule over your life and mine. You see, it's hard because we don't live in a world, we live in a free democracy, and I understand all that, and I am so blessed to be an American 
But I want to tell you this, back in these days, they understood what this meant because they had kings and they had rulers. And what he basically said is this, I want you to learn to put the first things first, and I want you to let God's sovereign rule be over your life as a keystone. And once God sovereignly rules over you and all of your priorities and all of your affections and all the things, he makes this promise to us. He said, all these things will be given to you as well. You know what's crazy about that? We've quoted that verse so much, we've outpunted our obedience to it. Seek first God's rule in your life and His righteousness, not your own, not your religion, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, I'm going to share with you one last thought and we're going to close. This whole idea about realigning our priorities. You see, our priorities will not only define us, but one day they will describe us. They not only define our life, they not only shape us and shape the relationships we have and our relationship with God, but one day they will describe us. You know the crazy thing about Mary here? She never had a public ministry. She's only found three times in the Bible. This instance, one other instance, and the moment that literally everyone knows her for, the moment when she got to anoint the feet of Jesus before his death. She never had a public ministry. She never preached a sermon. She never performed a miracle. But the priority of her life and what she did to Jesus, not just for Jesus, is what everybody will forever remember her for. What are you living for? What are we living for? What are we giving our best to? God wants us to realign our priorities because when we do, he has the potential to repurpose every single part of our life. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this week's message from South Christ Church. You can connect with us on our app today. There you can watch, listen, or even give to this ministry. If you have any questions or want to share your story with us, you can send us an email at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.